God's word, 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. All right. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thanks again. Yeah. Let's uh, give them a real family, a little round of applause and thank them. Um, they're troopers, and yeah, they've become good friends of ours and our family and just excited to come alongside them. And um, again, each week we'll have um, a, a family, if you will. We're going to even kind of define that a little, a little more openly. Um, this week, or this, this season, we're having different groups of people that are our, our, our family together under, under the cross of, of um, Jesus. And so it's just fun to have them in a real family, really kick that off. So um, let's go... Go ahead and uh, transition now in our sermon in, in prayer, asking God to really prepare our hearts to, to hear from Him. All right, let's pray. Yeah, Lord, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, just this, this, this time of year. It's fun. Um, the, the weather is a bit cooler. Our stomachs are full. Um, uh, Lord, we're, we're reminded of, of you and, and all that you're doing. And even as I say that, we, we are very aware that for some people, their stomachs aren't full. And Lord, the, the even, Lord, the holidays can be a time of, of a hardship and, and even seeming hopelessness. And so, Lord, I don't know where everyone's at here this morning, but um, I know that you're going to speak to us. Lord, you say that, uh, that um, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And so, Lord, we cling to that hope. And we pray that this morning, wherever we're coming from, that we will see the hope and the, consistent, um, and the consistent promises that you have fulfilled and are continuing to fulfill. And so, Lord, right now, will you speak to us through your word? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, so I, I've been accused of, um, of being a little bit of an underdog. And um, you might look at me and wonder, how could that be? Everyone just assumes you're going to win at everything you do. Um, tall and no, right? You, um, I, I do have a real special place in my heart for the underdog, um, if you will, for the, the unlikely hero. And what we're looking at this morning, hope, is an unlikely hope. And, um, and, and it's, it's, it's true. I, I love the idea um, of, of kind of the underdog or someone kind of surprising you. In fact, when I played sports, not that I needed much help in kind of the element of surprise, but I would, uh, I would even try to like, you know, wear different stuff. Like I was a wrestler and I'd wear like Argyle socks and try to look nerdy so to kind of catch the guy off guard, you know, and I, I just always loved that. In fact, one of my friends in Phoenix um, jokes with me that I'll switch who I'm cheering for based on whoever's not winning. Then, like, I'll be watching a game, and I'll be cheering for one team, and then they come back, and they start to win, and then I'll flip all of a sudden and cheer for the other team. And that might be true unless it's the whoa, Wildcats. I love for the Wildcats to crush anyone. Um, and so, uh, but, but it's true. I, I love um, the idea of the unlikely hero kind of stepping up and, um, and, and c- coming through in the clutch and, and, and winning. And I, I think that's true for all of us. I know some of us like, 
you know, the best and like to see these things happen, but whether it's movies or plays or books, a lot of times we, we read things and we, we get into this idea of the unforeseen hero or victor really kind of stepping up and, and, and winning and kind of coming through. And I think that's something that God's really actually wired in our hearts, um, that he loves to work in unlikely ways and he loves to reveal himself and his power in such a way that it can't be confused, that he won't share his glory with anyone else. And so that's kind of what we see as we get into the story of Mary this morning, a really unlikely hero. Um, an um, unlikely candidate in the story of God, that, that God is at work and God is bringing the hope of the world and he is revealing his plan that he's promised from all along, his plan to come and to make new what has been broken. And that's kind of the, the stage that's set as he comes up and um, sends an angel to speak to Mary, who's, who's, who's as we'll see, um, just unlikely. An unlikely person at an unlikely time bringing and unlikely hope. And, and, um, and, and that's really, really good news. And so that's the, that's the stage that's set as we pick up in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I'm just going to read as we go. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So, so there's some language there that we need to understand, okay? I'm not going to get in too much to Mary, but um, let's just say she was young, all right? Mary was a really young girl, likely in her mid-teens, and, um, and, and she was of marrying age, but, but she's young. And it, and it makes a point to say that she was a virgin. Okay, and that's very clear. In fact, even later in verse 34, when she asks the angel, she's a bit confused. And she says, um, I don't understand. How can this be? How will this be since I am a virgin? And that, that, that language is used. I know no man. I've never lay with a man. And this is very clear biblical language. Let me just kind of explain this to us. Because um, it, it, she has never had sex with anyone. And in fact, she in that language, you says, I will continue not to have sex with anyone while I am pregnant. And, and that's the language that you use. So just when the Bible, again, I want to explain some things. If you ever hear things, if you ever hear like so-and-so knew so-and-so, that doesn't mean like distant acquaintances. Okay, that means, <laughs> that means they had sexual relationship if you knew someone biblically or if you lay with someone. That's not like laying down on the couch while watching a movie, pushing the boundaries. Okay, this, is, this means they've never, never had sex. So it's, it's a very clear here. There's no way she could be pregnant. It's impossible. It says that she's a young girl, she's a virgin, and she's betrothed to this man named Joseph. And betrothed is um, an engagement. But it's a legal engagement. It's, it's like a marriage. It's not like in our day where we have these like pre-engagements. If ever, you know, any of you have ever kind of seen this, someone's like, we're engaged. And you're like, oh yeah, do you have a date yet? No, no, I don't, who knows, you know, sometimes. Well, is there any plans? No, we're, well, what does engagement really mean then? And um, that's not, it's like a pre-engagement. And, and that's not the biblical picture at all. 
In fact, I don't think that's the way it should be. Um, we can get into that some other time, but these kind of flippant promise, not promise kind of approach to dating and things like that could not be further than the way that it was in this time. And so they have a legal binding commitment that the only way that could be broken is through like a divorce process. And so for Mary, young girl, now pregnant, betrothed to this man named Joseph, if he were to break that, he would have to divorce her. And that would be game over for her. Her life socially, her life in every way, she would just be done. Because there is no way that she would be remarried. She would have the shame. Everyone would look at her and be like, you know, I, I'm not going to marry you. You've already been betrothed and that's been broken off. You, you are clearly a shameful woman. So that's the backdrop of what she's carrying. And elsewhere, they get into the fact of this, this man, Joseph. He's a man of character. All right, guys, we need to look in here and lean in. Maybe take some, take some cues from this guy, Joseph. Because he had every right socially to look out for number one. Okay, he had every right from what everyone else is saying to be like, that girl did not do you right. Who knows what's going on there? It's better for you. You're going to have to answer a lot of questions. Just go ahead and let her go and then go on and move on with your life. Who cares what happens to her? Who cares that she'll be out in the dust? Just look out for number one. But it says he's from the family of David. He's a descendant of David. And that's key because that, that language is used to remind us that, 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 that David was once called a man after God's own heart. Okay, that David was a guy who, though he messed up significantly, and we'll look at that some, he was a guy that at the end of the day said, God, what's your will? How would you have me live? Not what society's saying, not what everyone else is saying. How would you have me live in this way? So Joseph is a man of character. He doesn't shame Mary. In fact, he cares for her. He loves for her. Um, again, we're not going to get into Joseph a lot right here this week. Actually, next week we're going to really look at Joseph. But just say that Joseph had to kind of take one for the team here. And he moves toward Mary, and he loves her, and he cares for her. And so that's the backdrop here. A virgin girl, never having known a man, betrothed to Joseph of the line of David, and that's the backdrop here. And she is just confused. And the angel says, you know, he, he, he speaks to her in this language, like, blessed are you. And um, if you see there, she's confused by that, right? In verse 29, she was greatly troubled at the saying. I tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's like, I think you got the wrong person here, angel. Um, you know, Gabriel, you're, you're speaking to me in such a way that I don't think you know who you're talking to. Um, it's like you're getting a text, like a really important text from someone that you're like, I'm probably not supposed to be hearing this right now. Um, I, what actually came to mind for me is I was um, driving one time and my older brother who lived, who was from Baltimore, lived in San Francisco at the time, was separated, not like separated, but he was working in San Francisco. His wife was in Baltimore and they were apart for a while. And my phone just started blowing up. I'm getting text after text after text. And it starts occurring to me that my brother thinks he's texting his wife. And so I quickly pull over, call my brother. I'm like, stop texting me. I don't know what I'm about to read, but it's not your wife. Go, you know, text your wife. It's the wrong person. And I'm like, I don't think I'm supposed to be getting this message. And that's the kind of idea here that Mary's like, I'm not supposed to be getting this news. Like, I'm a lowly girl. I'm an unlikely candidate here. I'm, I'm not from royal status. Um, why are you talking to me this way? 
And then the angel continues and says, no, no, you're, you're exactly who I'm speaking to. He, um, he, he picks up in verse 30. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. He's like, no, no, I know exactly who I'm talking to here. Take heart. Be encouraged. God has significant plans for you. Yes, you're an unlikely candidate. Yes, you're, you're lowly. Yes, you're, you're an unmarried young girl. And again, at that time of year, that was like, they didn't really carry much weight. He says, no, no, God's got significant plans for you. In fact, his promised plan from over a thousand years ago is going to be fulfilled right now in you. Okay, and a good Jewish person, a Jewish audience reading this would be reminded right away of an incredible promise of God from, again, a thousand years earlier. I mentioned David earlier, and his name will come up a few times here. And um, David received a promise. So how it went down was this, right? We as humanity individually and corporately turned away from God. God said, I will be your God and you will be my people and you will live in a relationship with me and you will reflect me in how you live and how you work and how you play in your marriage and everything that you do will be good and beautiful and worshipful and it will reflect me. And we're like, okay, but we're going to figure it out on our own and we walk away from God. God, we don't want you to be our king. Okay, that language is used. We don't want to be your subjects. We don't want to have this kind of relationship. We're going to go and figure it out on our own. And God said, okay, there are consequences for that. That's sin. What a lot of us this time of year, specifically during the holiday season, are reminded of. Brokenness. The way things are not supposed to be. And yet God makes promises consistently and says, I'm going to make new what's been broken. I'm going I'm to set things right. And so David comes, this king, and the people are like, God, we need a king. And God's like, I'm your king. And they're like, yeah, but we want a king that looks right. And so this one king, Saul, rises up and he's tall and all this right you can't ever trust a tall guy no he's tall and strong and all these things and and then he he fails them and so this one king David comes and he is again a man after God's own heart and God says um I, I will be your king and you will be my people and this David is a picture of what the kingdom should look like but David sins and he turns away from God and all kinds of brokenness continues to happen and then this promise is made in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Go ahead and read with me. This is the backdrop of what we're seeing here. Samuel says these things to David, and this is the promise to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, okay, that means die. When you die, when you pass away, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's the same language being used here of telling Mary who she's about to give birth to. 
The son of God, the heir of the throne, not a throne that would, they would come to an end, not, not a, a ruler that would rise up and then fail and then crumble and then another one would rise up and then fail and crumble. And all along the anticipation has been building for a king who would come, whose throne would reign forever, the hope of the world, an unlikely hope. And this is being fulfilled right here. And Mary's hearing this. And then he goes on and he continues to encourage her and to tell her what this means. In verse 35, the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Again, right? She's asking questions that we all hear. Yeah, the Virgin Mary, all this stuff. Well, this is like, she's like, okay, that's great. Um, okay, right. 2 Samuel 7, the promise is being fulfilled. Good news. I'm excited. I, again, I'm not getting this whole thing, though, uh, Angel, because I've never had sex, and how am I supposed to be pregnant? And the angel's like, good point. You're, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, overwhelm you. And the child that you will carry will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. So some of the songs we sing, the language that we use, even when we baptize people, we are, we are remembering this, the good news that Jesus is God the Son, sent by the Father, conceived by the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And this is how we see that. He's not born of man. He's conceived by the Spirit. And so you're like, what does this mean? Why are we talking about conceived? What does all this have to do? It means that Jesus could be fully man, like you and me. He can relate. He will be born as a baby. He will need to be nursed. He will need to be changed. He will grow up. He will know shame and hurt and sorrow and difficulty and all the things that it means to be human in a broken world. Jesus will experience 100%. He's fully man yet without sin. Because he's conceived by God the Holy Spirit, he will be sinless, blameless. Every one of us is sinful. Every single one of us has turned our backs on God. As the Old Testament says, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. By nature and by choice, we are sinful people. And yet God, fully God, Coming, taking on flesh. That's what Emmanuel means. God with us. Jesus, God with us, enters in, takes on flesh, yet he's without sin. And that is absolutely necessary in order for him to pay the price of sin, in order for him to die the death, the sacrificial death that you and I deserve to die. He must be without sin. And that's who he is, conceived of the Spirit. And then... Mary responds to this kind of crazy news. In verse 36, the angel says, In fact, um, your relative, your cousin, Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son. And we'll learn elsewhere that Elizabeth was barren. Okay, She could not have children. She never had children. She was concerned. She thought that she would never be able to be a mom. And I'm, some of you guys know our story. My wife and I walked through infertility for for years, and I know a lot of people in this room have walked through, and we've gotten to walk alongside a lot of people in these difficult circumstances. And for many of us, this um, this subject is, is is a hard one. And yet, we see here that God doesn't always say how He's making sense of it, but He reminds Mary 
that he's letting his power be known. That he is reminding that, that, that hope can be found in him and in what he is doing because of this good news of verse 37. It says, nothing will be impossible with God. He says, your, even your cousin who, who in her old age, she's past the time when she could conceive, she's actually carrying a child. And so let that be a reminder for you that nothing is impossible for God. And I don't know that those of us who struggle with infertility or who struggle with any other struggle it might be, right? Again, even this time of year, I just talked to some people out this morning that said, you know, this Thanksgiving was a celebration. It was good, but it hasn't always been that way. And I saw things on social media and different Facebook where it's like, man, the holidays can be a joyful time or a really, really hard time. And I don't know how God always makes sense of it, but it always comes back to this message of his power and his character, and nothing is impossible with him. And how does Mary respond? When that sinks in, the only way we can respond is in this way. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. She's, I, I'm sure she's carrying a posture. I don't get it. You just told me, a young virgin girl, that I'm about to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to carry a baby, and my older cousin, who we thought would never be able to have a child, is now pregnant as well. I don't get it, but I'm your servant, and I'm going to trust you, because I know your character, and I lean on your promise that all things are possible through you. I don't know how that unfolds, but I know you're good, and I know you're at work. So I'm going to put my hope in you. And, and so then she continues, and it goes from there. It says that she departed, the angel departed her, and then picking up in verse 39, she's like, I'm going to go see my cousin. <laughs> like, I kind of believe that angel. I trust him, but I need to go see for myself. I'm going to go talk to my cousin, Elizabeth. And so she goes, picking up in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with, with haste. So she hustled into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So what's going on here is Elizabeth gets a visit from Mary, right? Mary, virgin girl engaged but never had sex, now conceived a baby by the Holy Spirit and goes to visit Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, with this miraculous conception herself uh, in her old age, is carrying a baby. That's John the Baptist, okay? So if you guys remember, we just walked through Mark. Um, and, and in Mark 1, John the Baptist is the, is the prophesied one who comes to pave the way for God the Son coming. It's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the precursor of the coming of God. God the Son, and so we see that fulfilled right here. This is Jesus' second cousin, or if you're real technical, I guess it's his first cousin once removed. Um, so that's John the Baptist, okay? That's who this is right here. And so Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist, and Mary comes in, is like, hey, Elizabeth! And Elizabeth, all of a sudden, the baby leaps. I I'm not going to get into this too much, guys, but this is one of many places where we see the sanctity of human life. It's not just a bunch of cells thrown together. It's not a lifeless zygote or whatever kind of technical term we could use for this. 
There's emotion and feeling and joy. This baby leaps with joy. Worship. Upon encountering Jesus, womb to womb, right? Jesus is there in the womb of Mary, and this baby, John the Baptist, in his mother's womb, leaps with joy, and Elizabeth notices. And again, as we talk about hope and unlikely hope, Statistically likely, most of us, some of us in this room, have have walked through abortion, have walked through hardship. As we read something like this, as we hear a harsh reminder that God is the author of life, that he knits every hair together, that he knows every hair in our head, that he knits every one of us together in the mother's womb, that from the very point of conception there is life, life that can feel, life that can rejoice, life that can know. And that's really, really good news. And for those who have walked through the hardship of abortion and who hear these things and feel guilt and shame and frustration and sadness, let me remind you that there is good news and there is forgiveness. Not by diminishing that, not by avoiding saying the hard things that we need to hear, but by looking at the cross of Jesus and saying, there is a God who has fulfilled his promises and who has given an unlikely hope. That whatever sin we have chosen, whatever sin has been committed against us, somehow it is made sense of by the good news of Jesus who has come. This baby, God with us, the hope of the world, restoring everything that has been broken. And Elizabeth experiences that by the baby leaping in her womb. And she says, I, I don't know what's going on here. Something is different here. And it says, when, um, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. She goes like, and, and I got to, again, Mary's got to be surprised by this kind of saying, right? Mary's like, why are you, you're kind of tripping out on me here. Like, you're using words like blessed and fruit of womb here. Um, it's your cousin. Like, we know each other. We've grown up together. We've seen each other, you know, in our, in our birthday suit. We've seen each other with, with food in our, in our teeth, right? We've smelled each other's stink. Like, this is normal, okay? This is, this is family. They know each other. And all of a sudden, she gets all formal with her and starts saying, Blessed am I that the mother of my Lord would come and visit me. And don't just dismiss this as like, that's just Bible language. That's the way Bible people talk sometimes, right? No. What you have here is a picture of something that I pray would sink deeply into every one of us, would shape us as a church. It's the nature of the gospel. That word gospel is good news. The nature of the good news of Jesus is this, that life is naturally supernatural. Okay, let me, let me explain it like this. We tend to live in a world where we separate the, the sacred, the high things of God and the secular. And we tend to think that the big things happen and it's flashy and grandiose and, and all these things. And then there's just natural everyday life and the two don't really connect. But the way God works constantly. Okay, let me encourage you and maybe even convict you with this. God is always working supernaturally. 
Amen? God is accomplishing His glorious plan and will. The story of God from beginning to end is His story. He is the author and He is the hero and He is doing magnificent things. He is undoing what has been broken. He is bringing hope where there is hopelessness in seemingly natural ways. And and, and we do ourselves an incredible disservice if we dismiss it and we think, you know... Big things will happen. Maybe God's got big things for me, but one day that'll come. I'm just going to put my head down and focus on this. I won't get into all of it too much, but the Monroe family who was up here this this morning is a good picture for me of this, of seeing God working supernaturally in seemingly natural ways. When we first met, it was a normal day for us, a natural day, if you will. We're at a park, and I'll be totally honest with you guys, I was in kind of a funk Okay, I wasn't, I didn't spend an hour in prayer and then go out to evangelize and, you know, put my, put oil on my head and do all kinds of things and prepare myself to go do holy supernatural things, right? I'm chasing my kids around at a splash park and my daughter's probably peeing in the splash pad and I'm like, don't do that, don't touch that, get away from that. And, and they had their own backstory going on that day. And, and, and through God supernaturally working in really natural ways, we met. We, we connected, and at first even Ken says, he was like, man, we kind of met eyes, and I didn't know if you and I were going to be friends. I, we might lay hands on one another, but maybe not in a good way. Right? We didn't know how it was all going to go down, but God is working, and we get to become friends. We get to pray together. That's on a Saturday. They come to church the next day. We get to dedicate their children up here, and now they're, they're a part of the family, and they're up here sharing about the hope they have and the good news of Jesus. Working supernaturally in really normal, natural ways for you and me. So, so, so this is a picture. This is what's going on. And so Elizabeth is living in that tension that we need to live in every day. It's a supernatural happening in just normal, everyday life. And so what does Mary do as her, as her, as her cousin uh, encourages her? And she says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She's like, good on you, Mary. I'm going to admit, this is unlikely, right? You're a virgin. You're, you, the Holy Spirit conceived a baby. I don't even know what that means. But you're carrying the, the, the Lord, my Lord. And this is incredible. And they're both just dumbfounded by this unlikely situation. And so in verse 46, Mary kind of busts out in a song like any, any one of us would do, right? She, 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 she gets into a song or a poem. And I'm going to just read through it all the way through. And um, it's called the Magnificat. And I want to take every chance I can when, uh, when we're together to kind of, because if you're like me and you didn't grow up in a, in a fully church environment and you hear words like this and you just assume everybody else knows this and you, we could be up here and be like, the Magnificat of Mary. And you're like, I don't even know what that means, but I'm just pretend like I did it. I actually learned this week in my preparation, so I'll just share with you what I learned is it's the Latin word for, um, for, for magnify or magnificent. And so as you see there in verse 46, um, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And in Latin, like in Spanish or any, any of the Latin languages, you put the verb first. And so the first word of this that she shares is magnifies. And so people, of course, because it's higher and more important, if you use it in Latin, they throw in the Latin word magnificat. Okay, so we can all feel 
comfortable here that it's okay to ask questions. What is Magnificat? Well, it's a beautiful rendition of Mary responding, probably confused, recognizing this is unlikely. And she just goes through this. And I was tempted this morning to, you know, we're talking about Mary. I was tempted to sing a song for you all. Uh, Mary, did you know? You guys, how many of you know that song? Okay, a few of us. I'm sorry to all of us that we know that. Some of you, you guys know this song? Mary, did you know? Right? That's your baby boy. And it, I'll be real, I do not like that song at all. And I know some of you are going to be mad, okay? You can write notes, you can send me emails. You've sat here through some way harsher truth, and I, but this is it for you. This is the deal breaker. Dave dissed, Mary, did you know, and I'm out. Um, well, come talk first. Let's talk. But, um, because, Mary, did you know, like, yeah, she knew. We just heard the angel told her, right? I'm going to interrupt you. Like, yeah, she knew. It's right there. The angel told her. So, yeah, she did know. But someone needs to turn this into a song because this is better. Because this is Mary responding to this crazy good news of unlikely hope. And this is what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The unlikely hope of God turns our, our systems and our expectations on their head. And Mary recites that, okay? It is good for us to not diminish Mary here, right? Some of you might be from a Catholic background, and sometimes Mary gets elevated to an unhealthy place where even she would not be content with, I don't think. I don't think she would like it. Yet she is the Holy Virgin Mother. I think it's okay to call her Holy Mary, okay? Because the word holy simply means set apart. She is set apart. The angel said to her, you are set apart. You're going to be conceived of the Spirit. She's still a sinful woman. She's not perfect. She even is dumbfounded by this, but she acknowledges that she has chosen to be holy, to be set apart, and she doesn't take that for granted. And she worships in response to it because she knows that her holiness is not something that she possesses in and of herself, but it's something that God has given her the God who delights in working in unlikely ways. God loves to use the underdog. And now, you, if you're in here and you're like 6'5 and chiseled and you run a 4 flat 40 and you're like, you know, the Spartan guys, you're ripped and, you're, and you might be like, well, of course, the short guy with the speech impediment is up here talking about underdogs. And, okay, we're all underdogs, all right? Let me be real there. I'm not, this isn't just for the more obvious candidates like myself. This is for all of us. We're all underdogs and take Take, take, uh, take joy and be convicted 
That this language is God doesn't just look for, God's not looking to share his glory. God's not saying the, the most significant, I'm, I'm going to do things to the people that everyone expects. No, God does things in such a way that reveals his power in times that might be confusing to you and me, but in ways that we can see it's truly the hope that we can build our lives upon. Because it is the hope that is coming from Almighty God. And that's what Mary responds to. And at the very end of it here, in verse 55, she remembers that this is, a, this is a promised hope as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Guys, during this time of year, during this Christmas season, during this Advent season, let's remember with Mary the promise of God from the beginning of time. That from the very beginning, God made a promise to Adam. And though Adam and Eve sinned and turned away from God, and you and I live in that mess today, God made a promise and said, I will undo what you have done. I will restore this brokenness. So from, from, from Adam to Noah to Moses to Abraham, God continually makes a promise and says, I know right now it looks like this mess cannot be made sense of, but I am on the move and I promise you, I will bring a hope that will last forever, that you can build your life upon. And then it continues and that promise goes to David, to King David. And the promise that, his, his, that through his family, one would be born whose kingdom would reign forever to Jesus. Almighty God, born of a virgin, conceived of the Spirit at an unlikely time, in an unlikely world, in an unlikely way to an unlikely person, an unlikely but good hope that we can build our life upon. So guys, this time of year, we're going to be tempted to look for hope in everything else, right? If you have kids, right? and don't just blame your kids, and yourself, right? What do I get for Christmas? What do I need? I just bought a house, okay, so I can relate. Like, my hope is being exposed here significantly. Oh, life will be easy. It'll be, finally, we own our first home. It's going to be great. And it's being exposed left and right, the idols of our heart, okay, the flashy thing that's going to that's gonna, gonna, gonna give us hope and meaning and, and purpose. And all the hipsters in the room that are like, I don't like flashy things, actually, so I got you beat. I like dull, restored things that you can get at secondhand stores. And then, and, and, right? Flashy is a metaphoric term, okay? We all fall into this category. Whatever it is that's going to give us hope and meaning. And, and, and these are good things, really good things, okay? This time of year, don't, don't hear like, be ashamed for buying your kids gifts or be ashamed for wanting gifts. Those are good things. But when those gifts overshadow the gift from the ultimate gift giver, we, we've got a problem. Come on, amen? Am I alone here? Right? When, when the things that we desire replace the one who has met every desire, when those cease to be reflections of the good giver of ultimate life and ultimate gifts, then we have a problem. So during this time of year, let us respond, even now. Let us look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the, the giver of hope, born in an unlikely way in this time of year. Let us look and see that, that God is doing what you and I could never do. He is the hope of the world. And on Him, we can build our life and our hope and our expectation and our worship.
So let's pray in response in anticipation of him. Lord, we do um, come before you and we thank you for what you're doing. Or thank you for the promises that you've made from the very beginning of, um, of all time. That, that you are faithful even when it's hard for us, Lord, to see. Um, or during an, an unlikely time. I know there are a lot of people here in this room, I'm sure, that it does not seem like a time where you're going to make sense of the mess that we're in. But Lord, I pray that we can respond like Mary did. Or we can say, nothing is impossible for you. Your character, or for us here today, displayed most clearly on the cross. Your love for us demonstrated that while we're undeserving sinners, Jesus came and laid his life down for us. Lord, let that inform us, let that compel us to respond in faith and say, I don't understand, but I trust you. My hope is in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.